episode 98. You're with the Board Game Mechanics. I'm Joel. With me, as always, is... It's Jason. That was the most intense and direct <laughs> introduction we've ever done. <laughs> I was trying to not have my normal deal. <laughs> um, so, if you're new to the Board Game Mechanics, we are jumping into our top 100. We are doing numbers, what, 30 to 20? 30 to 21 this week? Yes, that sounds right. It's in our uh, serial podcast where we um, try and unravel the mystery of what our number one uh, game is. Uh, I mean, we know what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really good investigative journalism. Uh, it's a true crime murder mystery type thing. No, I, I think it's hard to really pin down what we are. Uh, we're only 100 episodes in, so I think we're still trying to figure out what we do. So uh, – I guess the the best thing I can think of is um, when I think about what you and I do as a podcast, I think about my dogs this morning. I was <laughs> eating this like low carb like dressing that I my wife made for dinner one night. It was like sausage and mushroom dressing with apples. Sounds ridiculous, but it was actually really good. It does. It sounds pretty good, actually. I think. But I'm not into the apples, man. They got a lot of like sugar in them, and I'm trying to watch my sugar. So I'm like pulling the apples out of this while I'm eating it, and I like. And I'm eating it for breakfast, which is kind of weird, but you know, like leftovers, man, you just grab some leftovers and eat them for breakfast and drink your diet Mountain Dew, like all good, healthy Midwestern boys do. Yep. So, um, <laughs> I love that. Yep. Answer. That was the right <laughs> one. <laughs> so, so I'm eating this, 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 uh, dressing and taking the apples out of it. And then I get like, you know, quite a few apples there and my dogs are like begging for food. So I drop some apples on the ground and the one dog can't see. So he's too slow to get the apples. The other one just gobbles them all up as I drop them on the floor. And like he eats them so fast he doesn't chew at all. And so he eats, you know, an apple's worth of these apple chunks. And I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I hear, and the dog pukes all over the floor. So So is that what you say our podcast is? It's us puking all over the microphone? Almost. You got got to wait. It's... (laughs) It gets better. Like, it's it's closer the more the story I can tell. So I go to get, like, a rag to wipe this up. And before I can get back, the other dog eats the vomit. So. <laughs> so nasty. That's pretty uh. much what I think our podcast is. I don't know where the parallels are, but it just, in my soul, it felt right. It felt like, yeah, that's what Jason and I do every week. We spew out some nonsense, and you guys eat it up. Yep. Yeah, or I I don't know. I don't know if I'm the dog that pukes or the dog that eats the vomit, but <laughs> I think I'm the dog that pukes and you eat my vomit. I don't know. No, we're both puking and then everybody else is eating it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I Yeah, I think you were thinking more about the analogy than I did. Anyway. <laughs> Probably so. <laughs> so that's we're uh, the puking dogs of the podcast world. Man, that was gross. But hey, now you know what you're in for. Mountain Dew dressing and gross stories. <laughs> All right, so I have one thing of news that I wanted to mention, um, and it is something that has been going around on our Riveted group this week, and it is a game called Red Outpost, and it's from a company called Imperial Publishing. I don't know a ton about this. I looked it up a little bit. It looks like it's just a worker placement game set on um, another planet in space. But the interesting thing that I think is it looks like the artwork is Scythe. So it looks like mm-hmm. scythe artwork with a red sky. So I don't know how that's going to fly with good old Jamie Steggs. But um, yeah, it seems like sky, scythe, scythe in space. So uh, yeah, if you're into that, go check it out. 26 days left, and it costs some amount of money. 
I'm not 30 sh- bucks, man. Yeah, 30 bucks. I couldn't insane. find that. That is 30 insane. bucks and I think 35 for the deluxe. And like I'm going to say right now, if it said another company's name, that you know I'd like to have a relationship with at some point, but another company's name, it'd be like a $100 game. Like there's a lot in that box it looks like. So really cheap. I think it looks kind of cool to be honest. So It actually does. Like it has really nice production, for sure. Yeah, there's a lot of really good kickstarters right now, and I just canceled one because I was like, man, I'm doing too much right now with that. But like Legacies, you talked about it a couple weeks ago. It looks kind of awesome. And I like was in at the full deluxe $100 level. And then I was like, oh, yeah, you just ordered a bunch of Too Many Bones stuff. So maybe don't do that, too. So, yeah. But there's just a lot of cool stuff on Kickstarter right now. So I don't know, man. Uh, this one looks like it's probably a winner for the price for sure. So it looks really cool. Yeah, I am i haven't. I don't back a ton of Kickstarters. I try to let the market filter some of the hype out before I do that. But this one does look really good. If I was going to back one, I would probably back this one. Yeah, we just talked about this. Uh, and I'm with you, man. Like... There was a game that came out this summer and from one of those big studios, and I was like hot after it, and it sold out, and it was kind of hard to find, and now it's back in, and I'm like, eh, I don't think I need it. You know? So, I mean, I think letting games get a few months on them, um, or even playing your friend's copy is really a good way to go, and I don't think we do that a whole lot in this hobby, but yeah, uh, I don't know, man. I The other thing, too, is like, I absolutely, I know I tried to have this only by 10 games rule this year, and I doubled that. I hit probably 20. But um, I I think my new system, which is my shelves are full and I don't want any more shelves. So one in, one out is is a really good system. And so now when I look at a game, I'm like, what's that going to replace? Is it going to replace something on my shelves? And I like my games on my shelves. So I don't know. It's just, uh, yeah. So there's a ton of good Kickstarters. You're right. But Red Red Outpost Outpost (laughs) does look like a pretty good one. And, and to be honest, I mean, like, we get a lot of our Kickstarter stuff from people who follow the show and, and share it with us. So thank you to, I think it was who we're going to hear from later, other Joel, we call him, yep. uh, for, for sharing this with us. Um, yeah, and I think sometimes uh, Fan 1, Fan 0, the fireman, usually will get us some too, but he's, he's slacking. So uh, what a slacker. <laughs> Real sad. Don't like it at all. And neither does the sound machine. <laughs> yeah, so that's the one piece of news I got. I just haven't been looking at news, so I don't have anything. I don't know if you wanted to go over some things that you find interesting. but I always am amused when you say that because it says it on the notes, Jason. I've got news. You know this. <laughs> I'm trying to make it seem like we're not reading off of notes. I'm peeling that curtain back and letting you see the little man who runs the eyes, okay? <laughs> I mean, everybody knows, but we can at least try to fake it. <laughs> Well, yes, Jason, I do have a little bit of news. Thanks for asking. There we go. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you saw this at all or not. Um, I'm hoping that you go into this cold because I want you to just enjoy this. So Arkham Horror, the living card game, I really enjoy. And for April Fool's, I think a couple years ago now, they announced Barkham Horror, where you could get an expansion pack that was all dogs and dog-related items that could go into the living card game. And it was pretty funny. But now it's a real thing. You can go buy the Barker Moore expansion pack. Are you and serious? You can play the, yeah, you can play the Barker Moore living card game <laughs> with little dog characters and like dog collars and like, a, like I think there's like actually a story that involves these dogs. And you know what, Jason? I think it seems awesome. So that's just me. And I know that you and FFG have a long storied relationship, kind of an Ike and Tina Turner thing going on. But I'm I'm man, I'm gonna love this one. I think. So Barkham Horror looks really fun. I don't think we do gag things like this enough. 
uh, in life. And so I think it's cool. It hits me on that. But it actually looks legitimately awesome. Like the art's professionally done. It's crazy. Is it just the regular Arkham Horror LCG with dogs? Like, is it not different at all? Uh, yeah, you nailed it. It's uh, you got a dog <laughs> character that's like a dog playing poker. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. For oh, sure. man. Uh, so Barkham Horror, uh, pretty cool. You can find that on the FFG website. Uh, you put and- this on the outline, which we're not using. I don't know why I'm talking about this. And I thought you were just making something up, like filming some time. <laughs> no. 100% uh, a real thing. That's awful. Like, look in the show notes. We'll have the art link in there. I'll find it before we put the notes up. Like, and it's, listen... All right, it's worth the Google, Jason. While I talk about this next thing, you're going to be Googling, I know. Yeah, and I'm, we'll get your good reaction from this. I'm Googling uh, right now. Board Game Geek had the top 10 games that are solo come out too. So I thought this was worth just a quick mention. Um, with, I mean, we're going to have some crossover here. Uh, number 10, Too Many Bones, which I'm super stoked to be getting into. Um, I've heard some mixed things, but I think I'm going to be into it. Uh, Lord of the Rings, Living Card Game. Robinson Crusoe, number eight. Number seven, Arkham Horror, Living Card Game. Uh, Gloomhaven, number six. Number five, Scythe. I've never thought of Scythe as a good solo game, but it's not bad, I guess. Uh, Aeon's End. I like that game quite a bit, and I actually thought of playing it solo quite a bit. Terraforming Mars, another one I've never played solo, but I hear it's good. And then Mage Knight has been the champion for years for the best solo game from the Solo Players Guild. Um, but it got dethroned. Any guesses on what game dethroned Mage Knight as the top solo game, as voted on by Board Game Geek? Nemo's War. No, that was in the top like 15, though. Whoa, that wow, that's crazy. Yes. That was a great guess, man. That's like all the rage, that game. Um, it was Spirit Island. Um, and I'm kind of curious why it overcame it this year. Like, it's been out for a while, you know? Can't any co-op just be solo game, though? Like, that seems kind of a cop-out to I me. I think so. But I'll tell you what, man. Spirit Island's a really good solo player. I haven't played I, it. A co-op playing game. And you know what? The fact that it's not on my list is kind of messed up, but I've only played it like twice. So I did like it both times I played it and it might be on my list. Maybe I'm lying. I don't know, but I like Spirit Island quite a bit. It's, it's pretty cool. Cause it's, it's got just like kind of cool, like deck crafting, not even building that goes on in it. Pretty cool stuff, man. Uh, pretty neat, really. So Spirit Island was the top solo play game, um, which I mean, it is co-op. So obviously you can play it solo. So that's what I've got. Jason Barkham Horror. Tell me about it. <laughs> I don't know. I just put the link in the show notes and I don't really want to look at it, but it is just a detective with a dog and a hat. <laughs> the meddling of Meowlethep. Yeah. So we have Cat Thulu's, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty awesome. Uh, you know, I know this isn't your thing, Jason, but I did you hear that? That was the sound of 100 people, our entire audience, one, all 100 people, all dozens of them. <sighs> Googling at the same time to find this, okay? So, <laughs> no, it looks silly and fun. Like at least they're ha- yeah. like having a good time with it. So that gives Fantasy Flight a little bit of uh, more credibility back in my eyes because it's funny. Like it is, and I like it because they just pasted a B on there and kept everything the same with it. And <laughs> yeah. and then like, so it's definitely tongue in cheek. But like, honest to goodness, this is like five percent off of like some of the crappy spinoffs that we see in wargaming. Like, hey, this living card game is cool. Let's make a dog and cat version and call it Exploding Cat Dog Horror. I don't know. Like, we see a lot of crappy spinoff things happen, and this one just being tongue in cheek, I think it makes it kind of cool. Um, because I mean, honestly, there probably was someone in a pitch meeting like, we should cash in on this and make it a base set and charge hundred dollars. So I don't know. I, I think the fact that they did it as tongue in cheek as they did and just had fun with it. I love it. So Barkham Horror, very cool. 
Uh, anyway, that's all I've got, Jason. Did you have any more news or uh, pretending like I'm not looking at the outline right now? Uh, yeah, I'll just again. mention something br- briefly in passing. Gloomhaven Ooh. sequel, Frosthaven, Kickstarter. Oh, oh boy. Yeah, I could care less about that, but I figure some people will like it, so I'll mention it. I'm hoping that you can play Gloomhaven with Frosthaven and have a mega game that like literally you need to own another house to play. <laughs> it takes You have to play it in two separate rooms. Like when you go on the adventures, you have to walk down the hallways and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like it's like setting up one of those train sets that like that guy who gets a little obsessed with train sets has in his house. <laughs> that would be ridiculous. But dude, it comes with like a hundred scenarios. Like how are you ever going to play a hundred scenarios? Ah, uh, people will. I, I guess it. that's crazy to me. Like, there's no. I, I I've never played one game a hundred times. That's crazy. I speaking of uh, like I don't want to say crazy because I love this place, but I don't know if I've ever told this on the podcast. My local game shop is awesome. Like he owns a, a really cool business, has 500 games in stock, 500 unique games in stock, which is insane for a local board game store to have that. So he has like everything there. Pretty awesome in that regards. But it's the most interesting place because it sells board games, toy trains. Okay, I get it. We're Hobby World and handguns. So that's what you can buy at this shop. I didn't realize they sold handguns. That's crazy. Yep. Oh, that's awesome. I knew they did the trains and stuff, but I didn't realize they had guns too. I'm pretty into two out of those three things. And I stopped playing with toy trains when I was about eight. So you guys do the math on that one. I was going to say, and it's not board games. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Uh, so anyway, uh, all right. I guess we'll we'll move on because we got we got some show. We segue. Here's a good segue, Jason. Uh, we got a train leaving the station. We got to we got to get going here, bud. Did that work? It does work. We have some roads and some boats. Oh, oh, oh. We do, and I think I have some choo choos later. <laughs> all right. So I got to play one of my well. A game, I'm not going to spoil it, but a game that I really enjoy, it's probably in this list somewhere, and it's called The Voyages of Marco Polo, the first one, not the second one. And if you don't know what this game is, it's a dice placement game. You're rolling some dice, and you're trying to use these dice to collect resources to fulfill contracts, to move your little explorer around the countryside, to visit different locations and set up trading posts so you can take, have more options to place your dice but the cool thing about this game is everybody gets this player power that's just out of control good and my buddy brandon was who i was playing with and he had the guy that lets you have you can set your dice to whatever you want so you never have to roll them which i think is like the (laughs) best guy ever and then i had the guy that lets you have two travelers in the map so you can go you know up around the top side and around the bottom side to help make meet your connections and like i was just creaming him like walking around the board and all of a sudden i look over he's completed like 42 contracts and then i was ahead like the whole game and then he came back and beat me so this is just one of those games where you can't do everything you have to kind of pick your path and go with it so i was doing a lot of traveling he was doing a lot of contract fulfillment and that's how he got me because he had more contracts than me so i needed to pay better attention to that but if you like euros and you like dice placement and just over player powers that are completely broken then i say you check out the voyages of marco polo because it is really good yeah i i always like whenever i get out rajas of the ganges I'm like, man, why don't I play this game more? It's awesome. It's so good. And then I play Marco Polo, and I'm like, that's why I don't play it any more than I do, because I think it's even better. Like, And they they aren't the same game at all, really, but really, they kind of have a lot in common with that dice placement stuff. Um, 
they're different games, and I own them both, and they're both really good. But Marco Polo is the better game by far, and I forget how awesome it is as well until I'm playing it, and then I go, "Oh yeah, this is sweet." And and like you said, those player powers are so good. Like I really like the guy who's super virile, and he uh, every village he visits, and he leaves he leaves <laughs> oh, offspring. Yeah. That guy is really good. <laughs> they're all really good, man. Well, and then like Marco Polo is like. The original cheat character, it's like, hey, I got to play one and a half characters because I get like extra die and stuff, you know? So like, yeah, yeah, they're all just insane and they balance. It's the crazy part. I think I've seen every one of those characters win, you know? So, I mean, like, yeah, they're they're pretty darn close for as much as they break the game. Yeah, it's it's amazing. So good. Well, Jason, I got to play a game that is beefy. And I mean that in every sense of the word. Like the box reminds me of like the old hasbro board game boxes like that length and size but like double the thickness and like super deep and it weighs like seriously 20 pounds or something at least it took me four hours to sort and punch this game then i finally got it on the table had my son play it with me he loves minecraft i'm like you might like this one it's a little like minecraft played roads and boats um and like the little like minecraft sounds crazy until you kind of play the game you're like oh yeah i can see that because you're setting up mines you're setting up like logging camps and you're building this infrastructure to make things really efficient so I got to play this in, in one, but mostly just because I played real, like, mean and nasty against him. And uh, I, uh, yeah, I stole a bunch of his gold at the end there, and that was bad for him. Um, he didn't he didn't understand that I could steal it as easily as I could, I guess. Um, but boats can travel on water, and, like, now you know. So, I mean, uh, that was something. Uh, no, I, it's really cool. You put these hexes down, you make a map. You can either do, like, a randomly, like, laid out map that you generate with like kind of a reverse drafting where you put things down or you can do one of the pre-set up scenarios and then you lay this like plastic sheet over the top of it and you play on top of this plastic sheet so it's like sandwiching those tiles between the table and this plastic sheet and you're just putting these little cardboard chits down that represent buildings or goods um, based on the size and you start off with basically nothing you start off with a home base and some planks and then really the kind of the first thing you have to do is build a logging camp and then use those logs to build a uh, – and, and then use what you can to build a, uh, a sawmill. And then keep using those planks to build like a mine. And then you have a bunch of choices from there on what kind of tech you want to invest in. But it's all about making your camp or your nation or whatever you want to say as efficiently as possible. But then being able to build roads so you can get things transported back and forth as quickly as possible and really the end condition on this game that you want to try and really have there's a few things you can try for but um it really comes down to you need to have like either like a stock exchange or a mint where you're making tons of points you're just making all kinds of points and then there's also this wonder you can put bricks in my son invested super heavily in this wonder like he got almost all the points from the wonder i think he got maybe 60 points to my 20 points or something on this wonder and uh so he's destroyed me on that, but I got a mint bill and I just minted like a few sets of these coins and they're worth just so many points. They're worth like, I think 40, 40 points a piece. And I got, I think two or three sets of those made. And so I just blew them away because of that. So um, really cool though. And then you draw your roads in, which is another kind of cool thing with a dry erase marker. So you're putting all these things down and then you're drawing your roads in to just connect things. And you're trying to upgrade your donkeys. You only start with donkeys. You're trying to turn them into like, you know, wagons and you can with the expansion that comes in it's called roads and boats and etc it has like planes in it where you can like you know eventually develop airports and things like that so it's pretty wild it's set in its own kind of fiction where like donkeys are roaming the earth and the only thing you can have to pull your logs to camp and within a few 
eras, you can have airplanes flying. So um, it's a civ builder on a nondescript time and a nondescript land, but it's just all about logistics and trying to get things shipped around this continent as best you can. So pretty cool game, roads and boats and etc. Yeah, this is a splatter game, and every time I see them, they just look so bad. And that's coming from someone who thinks bad-looking games are like the stuff of, I don't know these games just look weird to me oh trust me this one doesn't look awesome but it's <laughs> it's it's a great game and it's got literally 2150 chits in it which is insane that is insane that's nuts man yeah it's it seriously took forever to punch out but i love it it's i would say this if i were to remake my list right now my top 100 it would just after one play certainly be on the top 100 and I really want to play it more. I really just, I want to, it's the splatter game that I want to play and play and play like so far. Like, I mean, Food Chain Magnate, I love. It's a great game. You'll hear about that probably at some point. But after I play it, I feel satisfied having played it and I'm okay not playing it for a while. Indonesia, cool game. Again, I play it. I feel pretty okay with it or I know that I need to have the right group. There's like kind of a certain, well, I need to have the right group to play this game. Um, with this one, at this point, I would break this one out, play it solo, which I know you can absolutely do, or I'd play this with pretty well anybody. And the thing is about it, it's like most splatter games, a few pages of rules, but then a really thick game behind it. So it's not that hard to describe to someone how to play it, but then just making it fire and doing the right stuff, that takes a little doing. So really good game, man. I really love it. Uh, Roads and Boats. Yeah, I need to play one of these games at some point, just because everybody loves them and I just need to... Finally bust one out and play it, I guess. Yeah. I think you'd like uh, Great Zimbabwe. Is that the one that, that I'm thinking That's of? the one that I want to play real bad, yeah. Yeah, that's the one that you would want to play, Fancy Boy, because that one's $250 right now, I think, or something. <laughs> You're right, because I love the expensive games. <laughs> You're way into it. <laughs> the more what money the heck, it is, man? the more Jason, better. Jason's calling games ugly, and he wants the expensive one. What the heck is this <laughs> podcast episode about? <laughs> yeah. Well, we also have started a new segment, Jason, where we get one of you guys to tell us what you've been playing. And this week we had one of our one of our early fans uh, who has an awesome name, um, Joel, called in and left us a voice voicemail. And you know what's the weirdest thing in the world? Saying your own name. It's just Joel. It's hard to say my name. Like, I don't know, to me. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But anyway, other Joel, as we call him finally in the fan group. I uh, left us a voicemail, and he's been playing some stuff. And without further ado, here we go. Hello, everyone. This is Other Joel. I'd like to start by saying thank you to actual Joel and, hey, guys, what's going on? It's Jason. These guys put together a great product every week, and I really enjoy what they do. And if you're listening to this, chances are that you like it, too. So keep up the good work, guys. I'll definitely be listening. So the guys asked me to talk about a couple of games that I like, and I thought I would start with a game that doesn't get a lot of love, probably because it's about seven years old, and that game is Fleet. So in this game, there are two kinds of cards, licensed cards and boat cards. Everyone starts with one of each type of the six boat cards. Uh, you got lobster, cod, shrimp, crab, and so on. And your boat cards can be used for three different things. Uh, you can use them as money to buy fishing licenses or pay for boats. You can use them as boats, and you can use them uh, by playing them face down to be a captain on one of your boats. Each round starts with an auction, where each player can buy a license. 
license cards are required for launching boats. So if you want to launch shrimp boats, you need to buy a shrimp license. Each type of license also gives you a special power that will help you during the game. So after the auction, you launch boats and you hire captains. Then any boat that has a captain can go get some fish. Um, fish in this game are little blue cubes. And then you draw some cards and you do it again. The game ends when you run out of licenses or when you pluck all those good, good fish cubes out of the ocean. It takes about 45 minutes to play, and I like it quite a bit. So that game is Fleet. The second game I've been playing a lot of lately is Gloomhaven. I'm going to go ahead and Jason explain this one. So Gloomhaven is essentially a card game. You're going to start with around 10 cards in your hand, and every turn you're going to play two cards and take some actions based on those cards. Uh, you're going to move your character around the board and beat up some bad guys. And then every time you need to get your cards out of your discard pile, you're going to permanently lose one card. So if you can beat all the baddies before you run out of cards, you win. This game sucks about one year of your life away every time you play it. But if you have a regular group that wants to play a meaty legacy game, I recommend it. So that game is Gloomhaven. Anyway, thanks guys. I'm Other Joel, and keep gaming. So Jason, after listening to this, um, I know you probably got a real big itch to play Gloomhaven like you always do, but... <laughs> you know it, that's my favorite game uh, of all time. Spoiler. <laughs> but uh, you know what, You if you had to do a dungeon, dudes in a dungeon, you know, fighting, you would like Gloomhaven, I think. It's, it's the one you would like, because it's the most tactical with that card playing stuff. Um, yeah, you're probably right. It's a good game. It really is a good game, but you need the right group. And I'm envious of those who do have the right group. But the game that I th- I thought, oh, man, it was on my radar at one point, and then I kind of like was, eh, maybe I don't care for that one too much. But now I'm hyped about it again is uh, Fleet. That game seems awesome. And Fleet Dice came out this year, I think, um, which looks really, really good. Um, but Fleet, the original game, I was just looking at it after he described it the way he did. He described it really well. And I like multi-use cards. I think it seems like a really neat little card game. Pretty inexpensive. This is one that's definitely on my radar now, for sure. Yeah, I actually think I I want the dice version of this because it seems like it packs kind of the same punch, but I can carry it with me maybe more easily. Yeah. I don't know. Well, you're always... I know cha- Fleet's, Fleet, Fleet's not big, but yeah. You're always chasing the new hotness too, Jason, so... <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I got like 12 Kickstarters that I just backed today. Yep. That puts you at 1,700 total. <laughs> All over $50. No, but I, I really do think Fleet looks really cool. Uh, and it's something that's going to be on my radar for sure. Uh, thanks, J- thanks, Joel, for for uh, talking to us. And you know what the weirdest part is? If there were going to be two of someone in a group, I wouldn't guess it'd be the Joels that would be two in a group. So I agree, actually. <laughs> I would think it'd be like Jason for sure. Yeah, I would, I would actually <laughs> bank on us having two Jason Smiths before we have two Joels. So <laughs> that's true. Anyway, thanks for calling in, Joel. And uh, you, you and uh, Scott both had, have done a really nice job with this. And I hope the intimidation factor is not too high for the next guy. Um, and do you want to be the next guy? Well, all you got to do is hang around. Like, hang around on social media. Let us get to know you, and you'll get the invite. And so um, that's that, guys. Uh, we'd love to hear from more of you. Um, and I mean, like in about four weeks when we run out of people that we talked to on the riveted, uh, we're going to, we're going to be introducing ourselves to you guys a little. No, that's, that's a joke. That's a, that's a really good joke. There's at least eight people on the riveted. So 
That's true. I think there are exactly eight. <laughs> so yeah, jump over there, uh, hang out with us, and maybe you'll end up on the show too. So we are, uh, the train's chugging along, and we are doing numbers 30 through 21 today of our top games of all time. And we've been talking a lot, so I'm going to dive right in. And my number 30 game is a game from Simon of all places. And it is called The Godfather Corleone's Empire. And this is pretty high for me for a game with minis. But this is probably one of the games I played the most this year. And what this is, is it's a area control game, area control worker placement game, kind of. It's mostly just worker placement, but there's a little tinge of area control. And you're trying to go to collect alcohol, drugs. Um, Narcotics. Yeah, guns and blood money. And you're trying to fulfill these different jobs that the the Don is trying to get you to do. It may be like a car bomb where you're going to blow up a bunch of your opponents. You could just be trying to shake down some businesses, so on and so forth. The point of the game is to try to have the most money in this little metal briefcase because money is points. So through the game, you're spending money to earn money and all that. So I guess it has some little economic pieces to it too, kind of. So if you like worker placement, area control, and cool theme, which I think the gangster theme is a cool theme, then this is a game you should probably check out. And my number 30, Godfather Corleone's Empire. Two just quick comments on this one. Um, one, I do like this game a lot too. Like it's, it's good. <laughs> and you told me to get a copy. I had like some like kind of hard feelings about it cause it went on clearance at like all the Marshall stores for super cheap and people were stockpiling it and reselling it. I was like, Oh, you grimy people. Why don't you be cool to, cool to the community and like share the, share the game with all of us. And then obviously I didn't get a copy. Um, so like I was like sour grapes about it, but then one of the people who like bought it cheap sold it to me for the cost they bought it for because it ended up kind of backfiring on those folks because the game just got really cheap then. So um, it is really good, though. Um, and the fun part about this game is the mechanics of this game, the ability to understand this game, like, rules-wise, is, like, very much close to Gateway. Like, it's a pretty simple game, but the theme is super awesome, but super not Gateway Gamer. So I know a lot of folks who play this with, like, their nine-year-old children, and they have the family rule of, what happens at the board game table when we play The Godfather stays at the, <laughs> the board game table, okay? <laughs> Don't go to school telling yeah. people that your dad was pushing narcotics to pay for a car bomb in order to complete <sighs> mafia missions, okay? Um, really cool game on my shelf, in my collection. Uh, not in my top 100, I believe, but very good. So I like think that's a really cool pick. The other thing, too, that's been really fun for me with you talking about this game is how quickly I remember there were narcotics in this game. So... <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, you jumped all over that. Yeah, man. well, it's because it's a syringe. And so we kind of make jokes about it being insulin with my son being a diabetic. Uh, right, right, right. It's our way to make like little tongue-in-cheek, make fun of the fact that my son has a really real thing that sucks. And just you got to make fun of it, man. Like if you can't make fun of some things like that or just laugh about it, then you cry about it. So we make everything about insulin that has a syringe. So we end up doing some really skeezy things to go get insulin so or sell insulin. So <laughs> Yeah, the cool thing about – well. Another, I guess, in regards to that part of the game, sometimes it doesn't even come out. So there will be games where the that drug or whatever doesn't even come out, which is kind of stinky. Yeah, yep. And it and it's sad because it's such a pretty card. <laughs> yeah, the artwork is top notch in that game. It's it's not awesome, but the minis are great, <laughs> and I definitely think you've probably painted yours. If I had to guess, oh yeah, they're they're gorgeous. I was a big fan of minis. I like upgraded them all. I got like pewter minis i have some diamond studded minis 
Yeah, it's 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 pretty quality. I right like now. it a lot, actually. So, real real question though, uh, we've been talking about shaped meeples a lot lately. Are you are you a shaped meeples guy, or is that just tongue in cheek too? No, I like shaped Me meeples. Me too. Cool. Same, same, Jason. Same. Shaped meeples are cool. I would rather have just a cube, but yeah, shaped meeples are all right. Not same. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I do like shaped meeples, but Katie really likes shaped meeples. I like minis a lot too, actually. To be honest, unless they're ridiculous in the game and make it worse. Looking at you, Dogs of War. Uh, <laughs> that was stupid pink lady. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, my number 30, Jason, is Dice Throne, which is different than Dice Forge. They are, are sometimes confused. <laughs> they are sometimes confused, yes. <laughs> That's a very inside joke. Uh, now, Dice Throne is a basically a head-to-head dice rolling Yahtzee type game where you have a player mat and you're trying to basically roll different sets of die to do different attacks. And then you have defense that you do back. Every character has their own custom set of die. Every character has their own little player board. And then they have their own kind of like set of mechanics too. So it really is fun. It feels like you're playing like the mean head to head kind of things of magic, the gathering, but the game only costs like half as much as magic, the gathering. It's still kind of expensive, but it's really fun, and you get a bunch of characters in there, and this is one that like I've played it quite a bit, and I've been playing kind of the same characters because they're really fun, and I'm trying to get better at them, and there's some characters I haven't played at all yet. So I probably have five or six characters I haven't played at all. So really fun game. They have uh, season one and season two. I just lumped them both together. I think probably the season one characters are a little better, but the production value on the season two makes it pretty awesome as well. So... Um, Dice Throne, really fun. Like it quite a bit. Head to head, just Yahtzee. That's mean. Yeah, this seems interesting, but I don't like the head to head thing. Like, cause I like King of New York where you're kind of tackling everybody, but two player fighting games are not my thing. Yeah, I get that. And they're not for everybody, but I, I think this one's cool. So that was my number 30 and we're going out of order on our list. So I thought like your number 30 was Dice Throne for a second. I was like, that does not seem like Jason at all. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's my number 30 game. <laughs> yeah, it's not me. Uh, <laughs> but my number 29 is a game that's gorgeous, especially the first edition. Second edition of it is amazing looking. And it's from Marty Wallace, and it's called Brass. Yeah. <laughs> I like the one that's from Tree Frog or War Frog, whatever you want to call it. And uh, essentially what this game is, is it's a route building game. He's building railroad tracks and canals because that's what Marty Wallace likes to do. And you're trying to build these cotton gins or cotton factories, I guess. You're trying to ship the cotton off through ports to score some points. Basically, you're just trying to get more points than your opponent by building different types of buildings. You're going to build iron production, coal production, where people are going to use your coal and use your iron. Once all the coal and iron's used up, that building flips over and is worth points at the end of the game. Uh, it's done through some interesting card play where you have to discard a card to take an action. Sometimes the card is a in reference to a place that you can build. Sometimes it's a certain type of industry that you can build. So, And then sometimes you just discard it because you have to discard a card and you have to take out a loan or so on and so forth. So if you like Martin Wallace games, you like connection games, you like, I don't know, it's kind of an economic game, sort of. If you like that stuff, then check out Brass. That's my number 29. Yep, it's basically Ticket to Ride, uh, if I'm going to Jason explain it. <laughs> It's ticket to ride with iron and wood and coal. There's no wood actually, yeah, but it, it's as easy to learn and play as well. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say the word asterisk right now because there's gonna be a footnote about this game in about two slots. I do have something to say about it, but I'm gonna say it later. So stay tuned for my response to Jason liking the old version of brass. 
<laughs> right. And I feel like the Happy Days record should spin in, and I should go to number 29 for myself, which is Scythe. This game was my number one game three years ago. Love this game so much. Still do. 29 is an incredibly high slot. But what I, this is one of those weird things. They came out with the Rise of the Fenris expansion, and it's a legacy game now, kind of. Um, I know you unpack it with a story mode, and you need to play through all those to unpack all the modules. And so I have two things going on in my brain. One, I can't play a game enough in a like rapid succession to like succession to like unpack all that and use it. And then two, I'm a completionist. Like I know if there's more to use or more to play, I don't like playing with just like less. So I want to unpack all of the different modules and understand them and go through the missions and things. And I don't know if I can do that solo or not, but if I can do that solo, I might just sit down someday over my, my winter break and just play through like eight matches of this solo in a 12 hour day or something and just get those all unpacked and understand them so that I can start using cool things that I know exist, but I don't know why they exist. Like the peace track where it takes conflict out and then Jason might like this game higher than, I don't know. It was probably in the sixties or seventies or eighties or nineties or something for you. But, um, it's a cool Euro game, but it's got a little bit of conflict in it and dudes on a map. I think it's, I think it's really pretty. Some people don't like the look of it. Um, and I've got the big fat box of it now. So, um, really love this game. Number 29 scythe. Yeah. I would buy the expansion, open it, just take that peace track out and throw the rest of it away. Cause that peace track is amazing. Purple robots. We don't, bud. There's purple mechs in there. Yeah. But I just want to not fight. So if I can not fight, then we got a good quality game here. Yeah, okay, so Purple Max and the Peace Track. Actually, the Purple Max might be the other expansion. And I'm here's the cool thing about about Stonemaier Games. I love Stonemaier Games. I absolutely do. There's going to be several of them on the list from here on. But people who love Stonemaier Games make it known they love Stonemaier Games. And they know everything about Stonemaier Games. So, 100%, whatever color factions in the Rise of the Fenris will be commented on this podcast, and we will know. So, <laughs> that's coming. <laughs> You are right. Orange. I don't know. I don't remember the color, but there's some little mechs in there, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm sure there is. Um, Yeah, so sweet. That's a good pick. I like that game a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, it was was on my list earlier on, I think. But My Little Side is in the top 10. Uh, I like My Little Side better, actually. I know you do. And I like My Little Side quite a bit, too, actually. I just, like, it gives me the same kind of feeling, but... I don't have to invest the time, and it's not as hard to explain. And you're just having like, cute little pie fights. Yeah, that's true. The, and the fighting doesn't bother me as much because you're throwing pies at each other. I don't know. It, it's it's silly. I like it. It really is, and it's actually really good. It's a great game to teach 10-year-olds. I mean, like, to get them into that kind of game. So, uh, bonus, we both really like My Little Scythe. <laughs> yep. Uh, my number 28 is a game I think you've already talked about. It seems like you have. I think I have. And it's from a company called Astari, and it is called Shakespeare. So we initially got this game because I think Katie was interested in the theme because she's an English professor and she likes Shakespeare a lot. But then when I got the game and I played it, it blew me away. It's a huge box with maybe a deck of cards and some chits in it. It's really not that big a deal. And uh, what you're doing in this game is you're trying to put on a play. You're trying to get set pieces, um, costumes for your characters, and you're trying to just have a better production than your opponent. The scoreboard only goes to 30, so that's going to kind of tell you what you're looking at there. You're not you're going to end the game with 15, 20 points maybe, so you're spending six rounds to get very few points. So that's it, it's tight and it's it's tough, but it doesn't look the best, but it has some cool drafting, it has bidding, it, and the bidding turns into worker placement type stuff to activate some characters on your board and 
additional cards that you've gotten. It's a really fun game. I like it. I'm not selling it that well, but if you can find it, it might be pretty cheap because I don't know how popular it is, but if you can find it, pick it up. My 28 is Shakespeare. I like it a lot too. You look at it and it looks like crap. I mean, like it looks not like crap, but it looks like, what is this? Like, honestly, when I opened the game, like I had a bit of panic that I thought the game was missing stuff because I was like, wait, what? There's a deck of like 50 cards and some chits in here. Like, what is this? And like, that's all it is. And it's really good. Um, but I think the other thing that's really interesting about this game to me is you have this really awesome looking player board. Like, has this really cool looking stage. And then the art on all the cards is really top notch. Like, pretty. Like, they did a good job developing crazy cat lady characters and all these kind of cool characters. And then you start putting these little like candelabras on your stage. And they are all these like wild colors. And it looks real ugly and weird. So that's another fun thing in this game too. I, I, there may not be candelabras, but the things you use for set dressing, they, they just look real weird on that stage. And then you have yeah. to like kind of build in parallel, like mirror it kind of, if you can. Um, it's just, it's got a lot of really cool things in it. It's really good. It's one of those games that when you look at it, it doesn't look like it's much, but then you play it and you go, Oh, that's a really well-made game. And it really is uh, a good pick, Jason. Yep. I like it. Jason, my number 27 is London. Second edition. I think because it's twenty eight. It, I think it's twenty eight. Oh, my my number twenty seven is London <laughs> Second Edition. Um, we'll talk about that one in a minute. Uh, my number twenty eight is Kanban, uh, which is almost as good as London Second Edition. Uh, <laughs> almost. <laughs> it's it's really good actually. Um, it's the only thing I don't like about it, and I think they tried to solve it with the second stronghold edition is the board's a little hard to explain to people. So it takes a while for people to grasp it. It doesn't have good table accessibility. It's just, it's tough to get to the table because it's hard to explain a little bit. Um, and then it's just like the idea of, of there being multiple placements that do the same thing, but just it's different amounts of it. You can do based on the time track thing there as well. Like how much time you're investing there um, is a little hard for some people to grasp as well. I think it's a really neat game though. It's a cool theme that you're developing cars. Very cool. Very, very cool game. Um, and it's like, I think it's set up like most car factories where three quarters of your facilities are a car factory and then one quarter of your facilities are like a boardroom. So you have a like, you know, 100 square mile fa- factory and then like a 25 square mile boardroom. So I'm pretty sure that's to scale. Um, but Kanban, really good game. It has this little pink lady who makes you want to cuss. And she comes and says, you can't do anything right. And you're like, I know, mom. Just leave me alone. Let me build my cars. So um, and her name's Sandra. So anyway, um, that's your name, right, Sandra? Yeah, yeah. I usually call her something else. Um, <laughs> Everybody does. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's Kanban, and it's a real that's a real board game mechanics level explanation of that game for you guys. So Kanban. Yeah, I mean it's a normal VTAL game. You go to one place and you can do like eight different things, and there's different powers of things, and every little pe- every area goes with the other area. So it's a VTAL game, but it it's busy. The board is busy, and it's. A little bit more tricky to teach than the other ones. Yeah, I think if this one gets the Eagle Griffin treatment, and it's supposed to with the EV edition that's coming out, mm-hmm. and he loves the environment so much. Um, he does. But if it's got a graphic redesign from Eno Tool where it makes more sense to play, I might be a sucker and buy this one, um, even though I already own a perfectly good copy of it already, just because it would be easier to teach, and then I think it would go higher on the list because then people could play it more, etc. Um, but a really good game overall and like 
it really is literally like you have, I think, six places you can go. But then there's a couple spots in each of those six where you can go. So mm-hmm. pretty interesting. Yeah, I like this one quite a bit. I think I'll be talking about it later. Ah. Um, so my number 27 is a game from What's Your Game? Because I like a lot of their stuff a lot. And this game is called Signori or Signore. I, I don't know. I'm not Italian. It looks like Signori. So we'll call it that. And what you're doing in this in this game is you are the head of an Italian household. You're like the dad. And you're trying to send your daughters out to get married and your your sons out to make diplomatic relationships and fight off in wars. It's kind of sexist. It's based in gender roles, but it's set in a time period where that was the norm. So lighten up, people. You're doing this through some dice placement. There's five different colors of dice, I believe, and each die represents a column of the bo- of a player board you have in front of you. And the trick here is you can only use certain dies for certain columns and you're trying to get low dice values because it's going to give you a bonus at the end of the round. But if you get high dice values, your actions are better. So there's a little bit of give and take. Do you want the end of round bonus or do you want to just take the bonus or the die so you can do the action that you want? There's a lot going on here, but this is one of the lighter what's your game games. I think it might actually even be lighter than Railroad Revolution. Hmm. Or at least the same weight. Like, it's solidly medium, but it, it has a lot of decisions, and it's super fun. So, if you like dice placement, and you like being able to, like, kind of forge your own path on what you want to do. Do you want to send your boys out? Do you want to send your girls out? Do you want to just forget all that and do some special contract stuff? If you like all that, then check this one out. That is my number 27, Signore. Which, actually, your number 30, The Godfather, is only a retheme of this game, from what I understand. Not even really a retheme, but just a repackaging of it, right? <laughs> yeah. They send their daughters out to... Uh, yeah, I'm not going to go any farther, because I don't want to say bad things. <laughs> Board Game Mechanics, your family-friendly source of vacation audio. <laughs> yeah. It's a similar kind of theme, sort of, but you're just not... You're running the family. Signori. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the other one's more wholesome. It's more about getting that good... Uh, pasta fajoule, you know? I mean, so uh, anyway. Hey, Jason, I'll bet you don't know what number 27 is. Or you do. Uh, London, second edition. I yep. like the second edition. It's really pretty. And I like how it kind of slightly changes the mechanics of the game to where, like, um, there's, like, d- more dynamic cards that come out. Um, so it's like there's, like, a, a cycling of cards around instead of it being more static, um, like how the city happens and, and – and, uh, it's kind of hard to explain, but there's a there's a key change in there. It doesn't change the game that much, but to me, I do like the second edition because it feels like it's a little less punishing maybe to me. Um, although I think you probably would disagree because I think that the way how the, the fighting of poverty works in both the games, I think you're more accustomed to the first edition. I'm more accustomed to the second. And the second feels a little bit more like, oh, yeah, I can do this versus the first. And I think you'd probably say the opposite, to be honest. Um, but – uh, London, I really like it. The uh, second edition of it, very good. I know you like the old editions, so we're going to talk about Brass here real quick too. Jason's Brass and Jason's London. These are the games that he loves, and he loves the aesthetic of them. And it's because it looks just like Grandma's 1963 Encyclopedia <laughs> Britannica when you flip open the map section and look at the maps in there or the diagrams of the human body. It's the same artist made these, I think, for uh, True Frog Games. So pretty sure. I, not positive, but I think so. You're probably actually spot on there, yeah. <laughs> like the maps look like they're just out of the 1963 Encyclopedia Britannica. They and really like do. The uh, the streetlights uh, or whatever are in this game 
Like, look like you looked up Streetlight in the 1963 Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, and there's the diagram of a streetlight <laughs> up in there. <laughs> yeah, it it's pretty bad. Like, I just played this with Katie at Thanksgiving, and, well, not the second, but the first edition, and those pictures are pretty rough. Like, <laughs> the But you love it so much. I, I, well, I like the gameplay. I could care less about the art. The gameplay is awesome, but the art, the more I look at it, like, man, this is bad. <laughs> it really bad. is. <laughs> It really is. And that's I like I'm gonna be honest, I'm a little shallow, I guess, because you and I played London together and I was like, that's pretty okay. And then I thought about it more and more. And the less I saw the game and the more I remembered the mechanics of it, the more I was like, This is a good game. And and now there's a pretty version and it made my list because it's it's really good. I like it a lot. So yeah. anyway. Yeah, the difference between the second and first is the second replaces the board, which is where you build the towns. Yes. With just these cards that are like one time benefits when you buy them. Or some of them give you benefits throughout the entire game but right in in the first edition for every city that you have when you run your city or for every building that you have in a suburb when you run your production you get one less production or one less poverty per city and that's gone in the second second edition so it still works i just like the way that it did it better in the first and see i like the second too because like you get chunks of it removed so like you meet the criteria card it's like hey cool i gotta knock five poverty off that's awesome right um so I, it's just what you're accustomed to, I guess. They both work perfectly well. Um, yeah, it's essentially the same thing. It's a net, net sum, you know, zero. It's fine. Yeah. Martin Wallace on the record has says he's ashamed of his first edition game and is embarrassed that it was ever made. But I don't think he really said that. He, he can be wrong. It's all right. He he probably said actually like uh, <laughs> they took all my money. I don't care. I wish <laughs> I made money off my games. Hope I get a business manager. That's. He, that's a little inside joke that is probably hurtful to Martin Wallace a little, but like he didn't get treated very well early in his career and didn't make any money off any of these games. So yeah, that's, that's why crazy. if you see a Martin Wallace game and he's making money on it, maybe buy it for him. So uh, yeah. the most brilliant designer of our generation or one of them. And he like was totally taken advantage of early in his career. So, uh, and I'm joking about that. His pain is our laughter. Sorry, Marty. <laughs> All right, moving on from Marty, I'm going to talk about some Bruno Catala. And my number 26 is a game called Five Tribes. And this is from Days of Wonder. This is probably one of my favorite Days of Wonder games. If not my favorite, I don't know what's higher up my list because I didn't bother to look. But in this game, it's essentially a Mancala. You're trying to get different colored meeples to do take different kinds of actions. So the red ones are going to let you assassinate other meeples. Uh, white ones are going to let you be used kind of as currency to hire a genie. Um, green ones are going to let you manipulate the market because you're trying to do some set collection. Blue ones are just going to give you points. And the yellow ones are kind of like a set collection area majority type thing. Whoever has the most gets more points at the end of the game. Uh, it's a pretty straightforward game. The trickiest part is trying to figure out where you want to pick up all your dudes from a space to do the Mancala piece because that can get a little brain burny and cause a little bit of AP. So as long as you can sort out that piece kind of quickly, the game is good and it doesn't outstay its welcome. But if you get some AP during the Mancala, eh, not as not as fun. So my number 26 is Five Tribes. Again, from a dog that is vomiting apple vomit and then symbiotically letting another dog eat the apple vomit, if you see a Martin Wallace game out there, give it a shot. All right. Uh, Five Tribes is good, too, by the way. The Mancala thing, very cool. 
Uh, I'm not sure if I've talked about this one yet or not. I think I might have, but it's a good game for sure. It's one of the Days of Wonder games that I think is one of their more modern classics. Like, has more staying power than some of the other games they've come out with lately. Um, like, I'm looking at you, Quadropolis, and even Yamatai. Um, this one just kind of hangs on and does really good. So, uh, good pick, Jason. Yep. All right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, thanks, Jason. Jason just just as a as one vomiting dog to another vomiting <laughs> dog highlighted my game. <laughs> Uh, number 26 for me is with the assist, uh, Jason Smith, uh, Caverna. This game is Agricola. It's cause I feel so guilty about being mean about our buddy, Marty, Marty. I'm sorry. You, you suffered, bud. And that's why I try and buy all your games now. Okay. Via Nebula. I paid full price for that. I'm like the one dude who did. Um, <laughs> I haven't bought a single one of his games. All my games, all of his games that I have are through trade. <laughs> shame. Jason. Oh, shame man. on you. Yeah. Now we've, right. now we've both said highly offensive things to Martin Wallace. And next time he makes a Cthulhu on Roller Skates game, we're going to be the faces of the Cthulhu. Hey, that'd be awesome. I'll be in this game. For shame, Jason. For shame. <laughs> All right. Uh, number 26. I think that's what I'm on. Did I talk about 26? No, you're doing 26. Boy, that's that's your Caverna that boy, you just said Boy, we're getting earlier. real wacky. Yeah, Caverna <laughs> is Agricola, but you also go get some rubies in a cave. Uh, it's a good game. It scales really well. That's what I like about it. Um, you're playing as a dwarf, and it's got bad art. I don't like that art. Boy, the hot takes this show. Um, Caverna is a good game, though it's just basically, it seriously is a lot of Agricola, and then you add this other thing of going mining. So you're like every dwarf farmer. You have a farm by day and then you go into your secret cellar and start digging out your mine for rubies which is probably the least sinister thing you can do when you start digging in your basement so um number 26 caverna (laughs) i haven't played caverna i like agricola quite a bit um i just don't really this game's like 80 bucks and i just can't justify that so i'll just stick with agricola yeah it's it's uh one i traded for too uh, I like it a lot. I liked it more than I do now. And at one point I liked it better than Agricola, but I'm not going to definitively say that. <laughs> uh, all right. So I'm going to move on. Well, you were talking about dwarves and farming and I'm going to talk about, um, tailors and dressmaking. And my number 25 is a game called Rococo. Uh, Rococo is a game about collecting fabric and yarn and I think claw um, threads to try to make dresses and coats for these people who are going to a ball. Then you're going to either sell the coats and dresses to get money or put them on display in the ballroom for like an area majority type thing. And you're also trying to do a little bit of slow deck building. So there's some new cards you can hire, but only certain people can hire cards. And you can also like fire cards from your deck and get like a severance pay from them or something. Uh, It's a really neat game. Uh, I don't know how easy it is to find, but if you can find a copy and you like slow deck building and set collection kind of and some area majority, this might be a game you'd want to check out. And it has an interesting theme that's not done in a ton of games. So that's a kind of a positive for me. So my number 25 is Rococo. I'm like frantically changing my list here, Jason. Uh, by the way, Rococo is one that I really want to play. I haven't played it, and I almost made a trade for the Rococo with the K's in the title, the German slash English version. Yeah, it would have been fine. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it would have. But I think I'm just going to get the Kickstarter next year because um, I 
listen, you and I have to average out to two average gamers. And so I've got to buy the bright, sh- shiny new stuff. And you've got to be like, hey, listen, just be happy. Just be happy with the stuff that comes from Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> yeah. Rococo doesn't look super great either. Like, but I, I think it looks cool, man. I don't, I don't particularly love the art in it. I think it's dark and just whatever. But the gameplay is good. All right. Well, my number 25 now, um, since I'm feeling so guilty about – um <laughs> marty wallace yeah oh boy um, my number 25 now is tenor's trail um never played it i've only seen the cover <laughs> of the box but dang it's good it does look good though actually <laughs> 3700 ratings on this one uh and listen like 145 copies for trade 193 people want it in trade so it's you know it's good uh tenor's trail my number 25 now as of uh right now <laughs> That would be a great list. After this top 100, we need to do our top 10 games that we've never played, but that we think are awesome. Also, <laughs> our, an apology to Marty Wallace. Uh, my real number 25, I had to change it to a tennis truck because my real number 25, it'd be really funny if it was like uh, a few acres of snow or a real Martin Wallace game. Automobiles. Yeah, airplanes. Uh, boy, you got a lot of plugs. I Listen, I think we're back to ground zero with you at least, Marty, at this point. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, all right. Uh, Steam, Age of Steam, Railways of the World. Uh, <laughs> Food Chain Magnate is my number 25. This is another splatter. Uh, this one's kind of cool. You have a map that's, <laughs> I guess you could call it a map. Um, it's definitely blown up graph paper with roads that like I drew on there and then some like colored squares. Um, and it's these tiles you put down, you make a randomized kind of map, and you start building fast food franchises. Uh, and you're trying to reach different houses through advertising and increase your range and increase consumer tastes. Um, but then also you're trying to be the first person to do things. So if you're the first company that produces a hamburger, now you're the hamburger people. So your hamburgers are the best ones. You're the world-famous hamburger producer. So now you kind of got to specialize in, in doing hamburgers. And you also hire employees. So you hire like uh, different like directors and vice presidents and different things to make like kind of a hierarchy of workers that are going to kind of help you have a, a more like kind of cool um, different almost player customization. Like so your VP allows you to, you know, do something more efficiently or or do something a little extra well um, by drafting him in and hiring him. So um, it's really cool because all the little like player guides are set up like old diner menus and they use kind of cool old diner fonts. So it is it is pretty basic looking on the board, but the cards themselves are kind of cool looking. And then like the kind of like the meeples and stuff in it, it, it's actually really high production for a splatter game, I would say, is, is a good way to put it which is like um, talking about dogs vomiting and other dogs eating it is really entertaining in a board game mechanics way. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's Fuji Magnate. Um, I like it quite a bit, uh, but it can be mean. So I'm not sure if you'd love it, Jason. Yeah, I haven't played it. It looks bad, so it kind of seems up my alley. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Splatter just, I don't know. I have a weird relationship with Splatter, so I don't know why. Yeah, I think I know why. Because they're like... $100? Yeah, here's $150 to pay for this. Like, we don't even put art on the back of the box. Um, and I get it. Like, I get why that's off-putting to people, but their games really are pretty good. Well, I saw the the remake of Bus from Capstone at my local game store, and it was $89. $89. What? It's a board in, like, pieces of wood. Like, it's crazy. 
That's wild. Yeah. So moving on from my anger, I'm going to talk about number 24. And then it's a nice Zen game. It's about making wine. And it's from Stonemeyer Games and it's called Viticulture. This there you is go. Yeah, this has fallen a little bit for me, I think, just because I haven't played it a lot. Not that I like it any less, I just haven't played it. But this is a game about, uh, it's a worker placement game. You're going around trying to collect different types of vineyard cards to produce different types of wine, red, white, so on and so forth. Then you're trying to age this wine and end up selling it at, I, th- I forget where you go to sell I think you can just sell it as one of the worker placement spots. And you're just trying to be the first person to race. Well, you're selling it to complete these contracts. And you're trying to race to be the first person to hit 20 points because that will trigger the end of the game and you will be the winner. So not a whole lot going on here in worker placement, some card play, and everything that you do is based on a spot that's on the worker placement board. So if you like worker placement and you like Stonemeyer, this is a no-brainer to go by. So my number 24, Viticulture. All right. Uh, my number 25 now. Uh, are we at 25 or 24? 24. 24. Oh, jeez, man. I got to remember what my number 24 is. Here it is. Uh, a Handful of Stars uh, by Martin Wallace. <laughs> is that really him? I didn't know that. Yeah, it is. It's actually a reimplementation, I think, of A Few Acres of Snow. Um, it's not, though. It looks awesome. It really does look awesome. Uh, so that's on our honorary list that we're doing this week. Top 10 Martin Wallace games that look awesome that we've never played. <laughs> Uh, my real number 24, Jason, is it could be a Martin Wallace game based on the box size and the uh, overall look of it. Uh, and one of the Martin Wallace era games that you'd like, uh, Hansa Teutonica. Um, this is kind of like, I think maybe one of the original almost, where you pull things off the board, put them on, and use them. But then it powers up that particular action because you have better production. Um, but basically what you're doing is you're establishing trade houses on different trade routes and making a network of traders in order to uh, be the best entrepreneur um it's kind of cool because your player board's a desk and so you're moving things off your desk and it's it's that makes it kind of neat in my opinion okay it's I, that was a good sale i guess um but Hansa Teutonica really is one of those games it's like shakespeare how you described it earlier it doesn't seem like there's much to it it seems like a typical oh we're gonna put cubes and discs on a board cool um how many euro games have i seen that do this already on a beige colored map um, but it does it pretty well. And it's uh, just, you feel like you're building an engine. You feel like you're building something worthwhile. And there's also some certain regions of the board that you kind of have to use. So there's different bonuses for depending on where the routes are at and where you build the trade houses. Um, it's just a really good game. And this is one of those examples of a game that's like, it's like four years old, five years old now. And it's dying off and people aren't playing it anymore, but it's a really good game. And it's that right weight too, to be like an introductory heavy-ish Euro because it's not heavy but it's 100% pure Euro. But this would be one of those games that you'd introduce your game group too early to Euro games um, and understand that games that look boring can actually be really, really enjoyable and gratifying to play. So my number 24 uh, was none other than Lincoln by Martin Wallace. (laughs) That one does actually seem kind of interesting. Uh, Lincoln, I mean... Uh, Hansa Teutonica is one that I feel like I should like yeah, because it's essentially like a game I'm going to talk about here in like three spaces, but for some reason, I just never want to play it every time I see it. So I don't, I don't know what it is. And it's it not can't because, because of, of the cover. <laughs> no, I think the cover is irrelevant to me. It just seems like it's a game that just doesn't look like a game. I, I don't know, but I apparently I need to play it. 
Well, cool. Well, to recap my number 24, Natty Narking, I'm excited that we finally got another reprint of Discworld. <laughs> All right. Let me talk about my 23. My 23 is, um, I'm trying to think of a Marty Wallace game. Uh, the one about Cthulhu and the deck building. What is that one? Um, a Study in Emerald. Yeah, that's my 23. A Study in Emerald. Clearly it's not because I didn't even know what it was called. But my real 23 is called The Prodigal's Club. From Vladimir Suchi, and I think the company is CGE. And I think I actually played this with you last time we were together. I'm pretty uh, sure. That feels right. Yeah. So in this game, it's a, another worker placement game. I like worker placement quite a bit. So what you're doing is uh, you're trying to, you're these rich kids who are just, I don't know, bored or something. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this has the modular triangle shaped boards and stuff. Correct. That's yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, this game is cool. So you're these rich kids, and you're trying to, basically make all your family hate you you're trying to lose all of your money and you're trying to i guess you're in congress or senate or something too you're trying to make all your constituents not vote for you anymore so you're just bored and you're just trying to have some fun so you're doing this do some worker placement on three different areas of the board um and then once you go to these places you're going to be collecting cards at spots and then after all the worker placement stuff has happened then you're going to be able to play cards down on this little player board that are going to let you take additional actions to further alienate everybody in those three areas. So you're going to lose more votes, make your family hate you some more. You may even go on a picnic with some naked ladies, whatever. That's a pretty controversial card. But uh, you're going to do this over, I think, five rounds. Um, and then the trick here is you got to kind of focus on all three parts evenly because your score at the end of the game is the area that you have the highest score. So say I really focused on my voting and I really focused on making my family hate me and I was down to zero there. But if I didn't get rid of all my stuff and I had like 40 bucks left, my score is 40. And that's not great. So you want to kind of spread the hate around equally to ensure that your scores are pretty even to make it easier to get a lower score. So my number 23 is the Prodigals Club. Yeah, I really did like this one, actually. And it wasn't just because of the tastefully done and clever naked lady card. <laughs> yeah. It, it really is a fun game. Uh, it's It took me a minute to figure it out, really, to be honest. Like, I kind of didn't understand it. But I know you were like, you gave me a brief strategy guide when we first started playing. You're like, this card in the middle is really powerful. So if you don't know what else to do, just take it. And so I did that for a couple of rounds uh, before you and Katie got to it. And that's what saved my butt. Like, those cards are super powerful in the middle. So um, pretty pretty cool, though. That's a really good game overall. And, I mean, like, I don't know. It does. It feels like you're... Uh, a real spoiled uh, like Baron's boy who's trying to make the family mad, you know? So spending all your money on naked ladies at picnics or whatever. So, <laughs> Yep. All right. Number 23, Toledo from Martin Wallace. Uh, oh, again, that's a good one. Never played it, but man, it looks good. Number 23, Toledo. Maybe you guys can tell me about it. Um, <laughs> that's a good game actually <laughs> I, I yeah i do want to play that one actually uh my number 23 though for real is actually um i mean like to call it its own game is is a stretch it's a retheme of agricola where you run a brewing plant and it's called brew crafters and it really is super similar to agricola in a lot of ways um it even has the same aesthetic as agricola which to me feels like a really interesting business choice like when people looked at agricola and played agricola they go you know what this game mechanically is pretty okay but look at it it's just a real beaut um nope that's not true 
just like I've never played most of these Martin Wallace games this this episode. <laughs> but I, think it is, it, I think Agrico looks awesome. I know you do. <laughs> uh, so, at any rate, uh, Brewcrafters is one of those games where you're basically doing kind of the same thing. You're building, you're using worker placement to build up your homestead. But in this case, your homestead is a is a microbrewing place and so you're trying to gather the right ingredients and make the right kind of combinations of beers to do some set collection stuff and then you're also trying to like maybe develop like a little bar inside your micro micro pub so that way you can store more beer and do some little extra things or make yourself more efficient in bottling and and brewing beer and i'm not into like beer that much um but i think it's kind of cool i actually like kind of a lot of beer games um and this is one of them brew crafters yeah i haven't played this but i played home brewers i don't i don't think they're similar at all but i did like that no. one home brewers is way different but same designer so oh, that's cool there's marty, that marty wallace right uh no 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 uh <laughs> that that's uh i think it's i think it's vita alicerta i'm not that, positive that sounds right no it's ben rossett i think is his name actually oh uh, yeah no that really does sound don't, right don't need him getting on the bad side of the board <laughs> game mechanics too <laughs> Uh, my number 22 is essentially, it sounds kind of like Hansa Teutonica. I haven't played Hansa, but, uh, this is similar to Ticket to Ride-ish as well, sort of, and it is called Council of Four. So what you're doing in this game is you are collecting these colors of cards that are going to correspond to a certain color of noble that are on these four councils. So there's four councils. Each council has four members, hence the Council of Four. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to bribe these people with cards and or money to try to be able to get contracts to build buildings in their area of the board. So there are three different areas that of three councils. And then there's one council that's the king, which will let you kind of move freer around the board and build without getting a contract. But it may cost a little more to do so. You're trying to get build your trading houses and networks because once you build a new a new house, it's going to trigger every other house in your network, giving you these huge bonuses and points and cards and all that stuff. And the game ends when somebody has all their buildings out, and then you're going to score up a whole bunch of stuff, and then whoever has the most points is the winner. Um, it's pretty easy. It's easy to teach. It's easy to play, but I like this one quite a bit, and my 22 is Council of Four. Hey, Gather on Kids. We've all had a lot of fun here today talking about Martin Wallace and his games, um, but for real. I think I have four Martin Wallace games in my top 100. And then I have a fifth that will be coming in next year because I just picked it up, Railroad Tycoon, which is awesome. And it would have made the list probably. Not not high, high, but anyway. Um, yeah, Council of Four I already had on my list. It's a really good game. Um, not by Martin Wallace, but still a very good game. Um, and I, I really do like it. And there's just so many different ways to try and win. You can try and get the specific color matches to get those big bonus chits. Or you can um, try and, you know, make good connections so that you keep your engine firing and getting tons of goods and points from, you know, connecting into your network. So the fact that there's just so many different ways to get points in this game and try and be successful at it makes it really interesting. And then, like, I don't know. It's just – it really is. It feels like the Italian design trio played played Ticket to Ride and they were like, ah, let's fix this. And they made this game. And it's everything that Ticket to Ride does well. Um but then they add a couple layers onto it to make it just a little more brain burning and intense. And that's, that's, that's cool, man. That's pretty awesome actually. So number 22 for me, Jason, number 22, the double two, 
uh, is Terra Mystica. And this one actually is higher than Clans of Caledonia. This one is, uh, we talked about Clans of Caledonia, how you're building a little colony or settlement and you're pulling things off the board to make your actions better and to get more resources when you do certain things. This one was the originator of that to a degree. Um, you put out different kinds of, of, you know, markers and things off your player board and it uncovers more symbols so that when you do different types of actions, you get better at those but then it also has a couple other things going on for it too including you use shovels to try and terraform the earth to make it the kind of earth that your particular race wants to use um, and then you also um, are doing things with these little like flower petal kind of looking things in a bowl to get little like kind of bonusy actions going on um, and then there's a sidetrack where you're able to like move up the favor of these different deities or whatever um so there's a lot going on in this game it's not terribly long though i think you could play a game at two for sure under two hours um but just a really good game overall uh terra Mystica. yeah i've only actually played this one two times and i'd like to play it more but i just don't like teaching it because it's kind of a beast but i do enjoy this one a lot it is um but you know what this is kind of a fun shout out to the people who are in our group we've started doing turn-based board games over on board game arena which is really awesome and if you're not doing that you should think about it because it's it's pretty cool so like you know you get a push notification from your web browser hey it's your turn on this table and so you play maybe three or four turns a day um maybe more than that if you have a fast group but terra on there and it'll be a cool one to play so just do a turn-based one except for the only problem with that is if it's too long between your turns, you're going to go, what was I doing again? Because um, this game is a little heavier. But Terra Mystica, I really enjoy. So that was my number 22. I'm not going to make a Martin Wallace joke. Or am I? No, I think I'm good. We're going to hit Z-Road. <laughs> and go on to 21. <laughs> that was a Martin Wallace joke, dude. I get it. Hit Z-Road. <laughs> so my number 21 and the last one I'm going to talk about today is a game from Vital Lacerda. And it is another game about making wine. This one's quite a bit heavier than Viticulture, and it is called Vinos. Um, I have the old and busted What's Your Game version, but I like that one better. I just like the graphic design a little better because it makes more sense to me. Um, what you're doing in this is it's a worker placement. Uh, kind of. It's a action selection game, I guess. You have this little pond, and you're moving around this 3 by 3 grid to take an action. And you're trying to buy um, vineyards, um, buy some... I can't remember what they're called, but workers that work in your vineyard to help your vineyard produce better trying to buy wine cellars to help your wine age better and be worth more and then you're trying to take the wine that you've produced and enter it into this wine fair with certain types of experts to help you score a pile of points in that fair which is going to win you points based on if you're in first second third fourth so on in the fair so that's the hardest part of the game and the kind of the most convoluted part of the game. The rest of it's pretty straightforward. You're just going to go to a spot and do the stuff. But the whole goal of the game is to get good wine into that wine fair because that's where there's going to be a lot of points and where the whole crux of the game is there. So if you like Vital games and you like, again, his go to a space and it explodes with possibilities, this is probably a game you want to check out. So my number 21 is Vinos. Great game. Great game. Uh, for a while, I wasn't sure if I like this or Viticulture better, and I like this one better than Viticulture. And it's, it seems you do too, but not by that much, surprisingly. Not too much. Probably, yeah, I think just because it's a little heavier, maybe. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. It's it's definitely really good. Uh, the thing I don't like about Viticulture, I mean, I do like Viticulture, but it's not as high as, as this one, is in Viticulture. And I do like, I like Viticulture probably better than you have either of these games. Um, but 
Viticulture, the thing about it that like kind of drives me crazy is that you it's like the weight of it is perfect to be like a next level beyond family game. Um, but then there's so many cards in there. And so it's like really hard to play with people who can't understand what cards do and how they impact a game. So like, it's kind of hard to play with like gateway plus gamers, but, and so then if I'm going to play with like heavier gamers, I'm just gonna play this one. So, um, yeah. Uh, cool, man. Good pick Jason. Um, and your copy again is the one that doesn't look like my copy. (laughs) No, it does not. (laughs) But you can get it for a good deal. If you want, if you don't care about the way it looks, gameplay's the same. And this one's usually pretty good on like trade trades and yeah. stuff. Everybody I know who has the edition I do, the Eagle Griffin version that I have, plays on the side of the board that matches yours like ninety percent of the time. So that's not a bad call, to be honest. So my number twenty one, Jason. Oh boy. Um, well, this is one that I don't need to explain. It's rummy on a board, and you put down trains. It's ticket to ride. You're just trying to collect cards of a certain color to get a certain number of cards. There's some wilds in there too, but then if you get the set of cards that you need, you can put down some trains on a map and claim a route. And you're trying to connect a route up to make some destination cards that you drew initially in this game. Um, you're basically, or you're making a choice. And so then you can get some more other cards uh, to get more destinations that you can try and go on. The wild thing in this game is it feels like you're building a railway line or something. But if you read the instruction book, uh, it basically says you're going on a train ride. So that's the theme in this game. So you're a passenger on a train. Um, going to different places, getting tickets to go. <laughs> That's to funny. Places. I didn't even know that was a theme. I thought you were really building train lines. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it makes more sense that way to me, honestly. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of playing board games online, a precursor to this game, Elfenland, hasn't aged well. Um, I'm just gonna say that it's on my shelf. I haven't played it in years, but it's uh, all of Alan Moon's games kind of have a similar thing to them a little bit. He does it well, but they're all kind of similar. He doesn't he doesn't mix things up quite as much as like some other designers, like good Martin Wallace, who you never know what his next game is going to be like. Martin Wallace, the official board game boy of this episode. It probably has Cthulhu in it, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a chance for sure. <laughs> there's a chance. Well, that's my 21, Jason. That's about what I've got. Uh, in, any closing comments here? No, I'm tapped out, but I think on this episode, you may hear Katie singing in the background because she's in the other room singing really loudly. So that could be a little bonus, I guess. There goes a copyright strike with the board cast, please. <laughs> I'll just keep, uh, I'll, I'll try to bring down my mic so no one can hear it. <laughs> um, it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. Uh, and like, you know, like, honest to goodness, I don't know why I'm feeling so much like Martin Wallace needs a needs a bone thrown to him. But his life really is kind of a story of if you've got a board game out there, like not everybody's going to be awesome to you if you have an awesome design. So from what I understand, the real story behind that is some of his early games he like co-designed and basically got pushed off as a co-designer and never got royalty payments. And if he would have, he would have made a lot of money. So that's the story behind that if you didn't know that. Um, but he's an awesome designer and like he's shown up on our list a ton. And so anything we said about Martin Wallace in this episode is all done in the best like hearted intentions possible. I think honestly, Jason and I both love him as a designer. He's great. Oh yeah, I agree. Yeah, we we like to bust people's chops because that's what we do here. We're dog vomiters, man. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I think that's what we should do for our t-shirts for Origins <laughs> next year. Have a have a picture of a dog vomiting, and those are our shirts that we walk around wearing. And then and then we have a bunch of like shirts that like when people stand next to us and get side hugs for pictures, it's a picture of a dog eating the vomit off our shirts. 
That would be kind of hilarious. <laughs> That's that was the way you interpreted the story, but my spirit interpreted the story as either I'm the dog eating the vomit or the dog vomiting. I don't know which one it is, and you're the other dog. I like my interpretation better. <laughs> that way, I don't have to eat vomit at all. Uh, you can be the puking dog. That's okay. <laughs> Thanks. I think. I think. Depending on the episode, <laughs> if we get a real snark boy episode going, like this one kind of was that a bit for a minute there, we become those old dude Muppets in the balcony. <laughs> yeah, Statler and Waldorf, man. You would know their names. I do, man. They're awesome. I love the Muppets. Yeah. Uh, they'd probably make some more direct comments about business management and how to sell your board game designs <laughs> in a better way. Yeah, probably. But it's all right. Well, well, I think he's bounced back because, man, he continues to make awesome designs. Um, anyway, uh, I'm going to go see if I can find a copy of Natty Narking now. Yeah, I'm actually trying to do a trade for Automobile. Are you? Yep. I've heard interesting things about that one, too. Yep. Well, very cool, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. Again, uh, we've been Joel and Jason. I cut you off there. That's all good. I already said my name once. They know who I am. You can tell them to keep gaming. Uh, yeah. So keep gaming. And, hey, go check us out on social media so maybe you can be our guest uh, voicemail person. But that's it. I, ending podcast is hard. So... that beautiful bean footage (laughs) (laughs) that's so standard i'm stopping this